Okay, Tov, everybody. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for being here today. Let us learn. We have a fascinating topic ahead of us. And this is a topic which I think uh, also brings up a lot of emotions in people. This is a, this is a topic which, uh, which is extremely complex. And I don't think we'll possibly even get to the bottom of it or not, not even halfway down today because it's such a complex topic. And as the topic is morality outside of the Torah. And this is a topic which everybody has a lot of perspectives, a lot of opinions on, and, and, and there are multiple different ways of looking at it. I want to start off by, by uh, thanking David and Ricky Adler, who are sponsoring today's shir, um, and that is uh, because of the refur shlema of their granddaughter, little Bella, who will be going through a very significant uh, um, operation tomorrow. And we are going to be downing for her refur shlema, for Chiena Bela Bas Avital Sarah, Be'ezras Hashem. She should have the refuah shlema. We should all just make a quick mark in our calendars that, that n- n- not just today, but tomorrow morning, we should be davening for her. We should hear good news. And Be'ezras Hashem, it should be helpful. She should be well. She should uh, give continued nachas to, uh, to her parents, grandparents, and to all of Klal Yisrael. Be'ezras Hashem. This topic is, is a topic which is not new. It is a topic which is which has been uh, addressed in multiple different stages by different people, and I just want to, for further reading, I just like to to send people in the direction of Rav Lichtenstein has a number of essays on this topic. So by his light, he has it in Leaves of Faith too. He has an essay. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Abby Dienstag for sending me for allowing me to to, to borrow his copy of Aritz Natan Livnei Adam, which is Rav Amital's work, where he has a section called Musar TV. Rav Cook has an essay on this topic in Oras HaKodesh and Perak Yud Beis, which is a topic of what's called natural Musar. Um, and uh, if you're looking in Chakira, in the Flatbush Journal of Halacha and Jewish Thought, um, you, you'll find a really extensive essay by Rabbi Natanel Wiedeblank, a friend and, uh, and uh, a colleague and Rebbe of mine, um, who, uh, who wrote it extensively on this topic as well. There's a lot, a lot to, 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 to think about on this particular topic. But the, the, the question actually is, itself is not new. Um, Socrates already asked this question, and many of the philosophers throughout, throughout the ages actually dealt with this, and that is the following. There's, there's different ways of putting the question, but the most basic way of saying it is as follows. It does morality, does the way that we operate, what we're knowing right and wrong, stem from what God says, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us, or is it that there is actually is a natural morality? We know what's right and wrong, and God therefore was telling us Many things which align with, and sometimes things which don't align with our natural sense of what is right <coughs> and wrong. Meaning, therefore, if you want to put it in other terms, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu could, did not command the human being about murder, would we ever have actually arrived at the fact that murder was a, um, it's a, something which was immoral? Would we have arrived at that principle by ourselves? Or was it only because God actually put that into our psyche that we realized it was, um, it was a problem. Now, you would argue and say, well, if you look at, you know, the works of John Stuart Mill and the, the utilitarian philosophy, it's, murder is, so to speak, pushed out because it's the most basic principle that is necessary for the greater good. So you could say, well, more, you see morality devoid of religion arrived at it, didn't, didn't it? Right? In the critique of pure reason, when Kant arrives at, at certain principles which are logically incorrect, so you say, well, don't, don't the philosophers, don't the moral philosophers who are outside of the space of religion arrive at these, some of these principles? And the argument that could be made in, in, um, in, in interference with that is, yes, well, that's because they're living, they, they, they were living in a world in which God commanded that murder is incorrect, which is why they arrived at their final outcomes. The question really is, is what about the Torah? Does the Torah talk... Does the Torah relate to the ideas of morality um, outside of itself? Does the Torah relate to the idea of morality outside of itself? And the answer is a big resounding, actually yes. Yes, it sounds like it at least. Can anybody think of examples where the Torah relies upon the idea of something which is moral or immoral outside of the scope of the command of the Torah itself, outside what the Torah tells us to? This week's Parsha, Yisrael, setting up the whole system of... Okay, fascinating. So, good. So, so interestingly enough, the system of court systems, right, the, the way that, that a law should move through the system, the way that Moshe Rabbeinu adjudicates things, is actually a suggestion of Yisrael. And there's a debate as to whether or not that whole episode occurred prior or, pre, uh, prior or 
after Matan Torah. But be it as it may, it doesn't sound like Yisrael was looking into the book of law when he was giving this to us. He was telling us something I've seen, a judicial system which I've seen working in the Midianite tribe area um, out there in the Arabian Peninsula. That's where I've been. That's what I'm telling you seems to work. And Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu adopts that wholeheartedly. And it's actually fascinating that the Torah would put that in the same book as the law giving, in the same parasha as the law giving forever, in a certain sense, we're marrying the two together. Any other examples of just, uh, just, uh, yeah. We had a sheer Ah, you got to get academics. I, I, I don't want to get into the acad- academia itself because it is, it is fascinating. That's more complex in the sense that when you look at Hammurabi, by the way, who is Hammurabi just in, uh, just, just in terms of Torah thought? Uh, right, I'm Raphael, right? So if you read, if you read the, the, the supposition, I'm Raphael, one of those four and five kings, one of the four kings um, was, uh, was Hammurabi. And that is at the time, arguably, uh, of Avram Avinu, and he had a code. He was a very arrogant fellow, and you can read all about him and what he thinks about himself. But he has a lot of laws as well. And a lot of those laws, actually, which predate the giving of the Torah, um, seem, to, seem to match up with a lot of the laws in Mishpatim, as an example. Um, but that is so, so, but that, that's what we call necessarily morality outside of Torah. I'm talking about, is the, does the Torah rely on the idea that there is morality, that the, what we know is right or wrong, before it gave itself? That's, that's the question, okay? Uh, Dr. Abramson? <laughs> I mean, he jumped in, and the father-in-law you know, offered unsolicited opinions, and the son-in-law took it. But how do we know that that's the way it should have been done? Maybe Moshe Rabbeinu should have continued the way he was doing. It's a good question. I mean, novelty ball. That was the question. Is that he? You know, he says it's simply not. Feasible, I can certainly understand what, what, what Israel is saying. But the, but the point is, is that, um, is that it, it's interesting that the Torah for all posterity puts it there. You know? In fact, just so you go see how far this goes. The Rachaim HaKadosh says, commenting on Nachman's point, the Rachaim HaKadosh says, you see from here that Jews were not selected for their wisdom. Right? Because the wisdom came from without, which means the chosenness of Israel is because, about who they are, not what they produce. That's what the Arachim says as a function of that, which means that history, in a certain sense, paskin that, even though perhaps there might have been more, more, more adjudication. But that, that idea, now that isn't necessarily morality, but it's a system of wisdom, right? It's a system of wisdom. It's a practical, pragmatic system of wisdom, which is adopted. But there's more than that. I want to get to actually morality, a moral decision. Yes. You have uh, several times pre-Sinai the concept of Yerat Elohim. Which, uh, good. Okay, good. So Avimelech, right, Raka, Raka, and Yeratel came by Makom Azeh. So that presupposes a sense of morality uh, in that society. And, and by the way, and, uh, enough to make Avram Avinu concerned about the way he's going to treat his wife, right, because of what's going to happen in that society, because there's no Yirat Elohim. Now, you could argue, you could argue that that's not actually about morality. That goes down to a system of law already given from God called. Which means, you could say, in, in, that, in that example, you could say that the reason why Avram Avinu was scared was because one of the Zion Mitzvahs B'nai Noach is about immorality. The, another one of them is having a court system which demands, which demands that a society lives up to that morality. And that's not outside morality, that's God-given morality, as is extrapolated from the times of Adam Arishon, so you could argue that that still falls within the purview of God's command, or God's, God's wishes, right? Well, Cain and Hevel would also be an example of one of the Zionists, which would be murder, right? So we're still there. No, actually, actually oh, good, that's, that's what's confusing. B'nai Noach sometimes indicates they were ten generations in. But actually, as the Gemara points out, at the times of Noach, there was the seventh mitzvah was introduced, but there was already six beforehand. Which means that one of the basic principles given to Adam, now you might say, did he command it, or is that assumed that he would arrive at it? But it sounds like that, that there was a command, the, the Gemara in Sanhedrin darshans every word of the Pasuk, uh, relating to Adam Arishan and Perik Beis and Beratius, that Adam Arishan was expected and murder was one of those things. So you may say, well, did he command that, or was that assumed that he would arrive at that? Is, is, a, is, is a question. Is what Rabbi Berman spoke about yesterday. Oh, very good. <laughs> he, spoke, he gave the opinion of Sadok of the relationship of Torah to Tavah Torah. Oh, very good. Okay. So this is Excellent. I, the rabbi was running between three minyanins, so he didn't have a chance to enjoy uh, Torah. Yeah. It seems from Adam that the Torah is only done and the only thing done to do is this tree. That was the only real... Explicitly, you're right. Well, there are, it is more complicated in the sense that there is Puruvu, there is the Avdol Shamra. 
And then if you look at the drasha, the Torah Shabbat, as Dr. Huberfeld was pointing out a moment ago, it does sound like specifically there are six items, not seven mitzvahs yet, but because Eber Menachai is not relatable. Why? Because I can't eat meat yet. Right, so, but there's the six mitzvahs which are, which are there already existed. Let, let, me, let, let me just give you an interesting example. What was the reason for the distraction of the city of Saddam? What was the reason the Torah gives the distraction of the city of Saddam? The morality, sexual morality, not being yeah, it's, right. It's, that's, not, that's not explicit in the Pesukim. Right, it doesn't sound like that in the Pesukim. It, it doesn't sound like stealing either. Right? It doesn't sound like we're talking about one of the seven mitzvahs b'neinach per se. And if you look at the, what the Mephoshim say, one of the mitzvahs b'neinach sedom, shali shali shalcha shalcha, which sounds pretty much like a kin to society today. Um, and uh, and uh, the, the, now that isn't that doesn't fall under the rubric of the seven mitzvahs b'neinach as an example, right? But the, nonetheless, apparently that behavior amounted to slating for destruction. That's fascinating. Which means that there's something wrong in society independent of precisely now it gets even better because then what happens is, is Avram Avinu gets up onto his soapbox, so to speak, in Parshas Vayera, and he gets up to Akash Baruch and he says, Mishpat. What is Avram Avinu appealing to? Mishpat. But wait a second. <laughs> what do you mean Mishpat? Where? From where do you? Where are you pulling Mishpat precisely? Apparently, Avram Avinu understands there's a concept called justice, and he's saying Akash Baruch you're not acting justly. But from where, Avram Avinu, do you have the right to say that? Because Akarish Baruch Hu just said, they're dead. Which means that if everything where Hashem says is precisely moral, then where did he get justice? Where, where did that come from precisely? That's, that's, that, that's an interesting observation. Now, you can question this. Can anybody question that for me? Just yeah, but Right, so maybe it's an expression of still designed Mrs. Ben Enoch as an example of Bate Dinim, as an example. There's another possibility you could have question on this. Yes, sorry. Is it possible that it's the same situation as in Ninveh, where it's, I'm going to destroy you, but if you do, if you have the warning. Good, so, <laughs> so I think we have to get there in a moment because we, there's going to be a problem with Avram Vinu's logic in a moment. We'll come back to the Mitzvah Shem because we have, to, we have to put that together with our Kedah in a moment, okay? But just, but it, it, it's, and you're right, so maybe it's not a command, it's a, so to speak, a warning, which is, which is different. But, independently of that, Avram Avinu's argument seems to call upon justice, and it's almost like he's holding Akash Baruch Hu accountable, so to speak, what that means, Kivyachol, to this notion called justice. And that would seem to be that Hashem expects or allows us to operate within the principles of Mishpat. Or Tzedakah. Hashofet kolot mishpat, which is fascinating, right? There's a calling upon something outside as well. Something which we should know latently within ourselves is not correct. Isn't that fascinating? You may, you may question this because what was the thing, what was the reason why Hashem allow, said, I'm going to tell Avram about this in the first place? Ki yadativ, if you pursue before, ashe yatsaves bonoves beisoacharov, laasos, Tzedakah mishpat. So Hashem had already said, I know Aram is Avinu special, I'll tell, I'm going to tell him because what you know what he's going to do? He's going to teach his children to do Tzedakah HaMishpat. So you could argue, just, uh, just at this point, you could argue that Hashem already gave him the tools for the argument. Right? You could say that Hashem already gave him one of the moral tools for the argument, but it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like this is a tool which exists in the world, which Hashem says, look, he's already connected to, he's going to his children are going to be so fighting for social justice throughout all the ages, even devoid of any religious practice, they'll still be fighting for social justice. And um, justice is, su is such a basic principle when it comes to what it is that I want in the world. And so Avram Vinu will hold, so to speak, the Almighty accountable to that principle. That's what it sounds like is happening over here. We have to ask ourselves, so where does that come from? Yes. So I always thought of that as being is the world may say honor your parents, but don't do it because of what the world good, says. Do good, good, so excellent, excellent. So I always view that as meaning it's within what the Torah says. Excellent, excellent. That's a very good point. And that just just to be aware of this, and again, we go on lots of tangents, but it is important <coughs> to sort of try to build a bigger picture. Because if you look at our Sarah Debras, another pattern of Sarah Debras is that the last five, you may argue, are more universal. There are things that we may have arrived at logically. The first five are less so. Uh, Kebrava Aim being an, an, interesting, an interesting bridge character there. 
But in a certain sense, belief in God, you know, reneging upon or, or um, paganism, the idea of, of the Sabbath, of bearing God's name falsely, all those things are not necessary things that will come upon ourselves. They're very particular, they're very unique um, to us and not necessarily logically extrapolatable. And it's interesting, you need both tablets. You need both parts of it. And what some would say, is the reason why Hashem needs to command on those what are called sikhlios, or mitzvahs which are logical, is to supersede, to, as an overlay on what we may have arrived by ourselves because of the danger of logic by itself, which means the only reason why we keep the Torah today is because Hashem told us to. But does that mean to say that the Torah relates to external morality or not? And where would that, where would that apply itself in life is the question we're trying to get to, Ilana. Yeah. Were there any parallel uh, religions or... Good question. I don't know enough about the, the, the ancient Near East, but that was the, the notion of Hammurabi, that's at least in legal code, but I don't know about the other parts as well, in terms of you were saying back to, back to uh, there's a beautiful essay by Shmuel Golden in Unlocking the Parsha last week on this, on this particular, particular, particular topic. I thought it was really just a beautiful um, pathway into this. Take one more question, and then you notice, you notice we've actually got, we've successfully accomplished one source. Um, so we're gonna, we'll take a little further as well. Nachman, like, yeah. yeah but you, you, the topic is, is the morality outside the Torah. What is morality? Who defines Good. it, God or people? Do we know what's right? Do we know what's right without the Torah? Good, good. We're going to get into some of the dangers or the problems of this, of this idea. But I think that you would agree that every society agrees that murder is, is, uh, is abhorrent. Well, murder is not acceptable. No, that's now, not true. now, that's no, not true. Well, no. there's honor killings all the time in other countries. Where no, 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 that's not murder. That's not murder. That's not murder. Yeah, there's, 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 government, there's governments which will have rules in order to eradicate people they don't believe is right, but the idea of murder for no reason without a system of justice that, that it seems to be a basic moral principle, even though we do have sociopaths and some of them become presidents. But, um, but it, it happens to be that I, this is not, we're not talking about anybody we know. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but the point is, is that, is that, is that, that, that is the case. Folks, we, we, let, let's, uh, let's get a little bit more information for traction. If I'm going to hold, hold questions for a second. We did, we did talk about this as well. The Torah does give us principles, meta-principles. We learned a little bit about this last week. We looked at the Ramban, where the Torah says, You should do what is right and what is good. Which is interesting because, again, although it is true that Chazal will give us specific demonstrable examples of this, like we talked about last week, like the idea of Dina de Bar Metzra and certain specific ideas, it's interesting that the Torah there, when giving us this mitzvah, is turning to us and saying, you should do what is straight and upright, what is, what, what, what is the right thing to do. Which means that the Torah is almost speaking to us and saying, you're going to know that this is Yashar and this is Tov in certain situations, and even if it's not regulated. So much so that the Magid Mishnah, in a similar way to what the Ramban says, this is the end of Hilchus Shkenim. By the way, Hilchus Shkenim is where real, re real character comes out, <laughs> is, uh, is how you deal with your neighbors. That's where it really, really comes out. Uh, so at the end of Hilchus Shkenim, the Ramban talks about this idea of Avasis Yashar and Tov. And at the very last Allah, the Magid Mishnah tells us at the top of page two, he says, You should treat people respectfully, uprightly. And so the Torah can't go into details because societies change, values change. So, more, so Nachman, like different societies value different things. So Torah is not going to be specific as to what that looks like. And even what societally, societally acceptable is going to change, right? Which is why the Torah is so general. So sometimes that the Chazal prescribed what this looked like, and sometimes they didn't, and they expected us to figure that out. Which means that there's going to be that situation where you have the question of, you know, hold, you know, pressing charges or dropping the charges about a specific thing, and you have to ask yourself, is really this the right thing? Is this not the right thing? You have to ask yourself, and you go back to the Torah, and the Torah says, but it doesn't tell me. But the Torah doesn't say, it prescribe anything in a specific, a specific situation. He drove over my rosebud, whatever it is. But in the end of the day, the Torah somehow is appealing to what might be Yashar and Tov in your situation. As if the Torah is reaching out and saying, you're going to know what it is. 
And the question is going to be, oh, so where does that come from precisely? How do we make those decisions? Because that could be a little gray and confusing. In Chazal, there's a number of examples where this, this comes up. So as an example, the, the Sifre, the Midrash Halacha in, um, Sefer, uh, in, in Sefer Vayikra, in Pashas Achimos, this is Source 4. It's Mishpatai Tassuma, my laws you should do. Eilid Dvarim, what is the Mishpat? These are in source where he says things which are written in the Torah. There's certain things in the Torah. If the Torah had not written, we should have written as our law book. So he talks about theft, immorality, paganism, cursing God, spilling blood. There's certain things you should have written. So why does the Torah write them? So Tibi, coming back to your point, maybe the Torah writes them because that's the reason why we listen to them. But having said that, apparently we should have known these. These are things that we would have arrived at. Meaning, the human being should have arrived at these ideas which are called mitzvahs sichlios, is the way the Ramam understands them. Logical, basic principles of, of, of operating. In fact, as a, the Gemara often will rely on this in, in certain situations. This Gemara appears in multiple places. This is in Ksubus Kachov Bezim and but it appears in multiple places. The Gemara says, Lama Likra, why do I need a Pasuk? Svarahu, or Svarahi. It's logical. Now you think, oh, well, that's just tangential things. Let me tell you how far that logic goes. Gomorrah and Sanhedrin. Gomorrah is, is describing that there are three mitzvahs, or three averos, which are called yarog valyavo, which means and in, in normal circumstances, without gzeira, shasa shmad, and gzeira, and lahanas, or lahachis, and all the questions that relate to this, this particular topic. And a person is meant to put down their lives rather than to do these averos. The, the principle of v'chai bohem, of live by the Torah, does not apply in, the, in these cases. And they are, of course... They are murder, adultery, Gideon Arias, and, um, and, uh, and uh, Avodah So the Gomorrah says, tries to learn out where we know these from. And the Gomorrah says, what is the logic behind the fact that I am not allowed to murder to save my life? Okay, so let's sort of picture the situation, the theoretical construct, God forbid. A person has a gun clapped to their temple and they will be saved if they go and shoot somebody else. In that situation, the Gomorrah demands that you give up your life rather than to kill somebody else. That's what's called Yarag Valyovah in, in relationship to Ritzicha, to murder. The Gomorrah says, how do you know that? And the Gomorrah says, Svarahi. What's the logic? Gomorrah says, is your blood redder than his? Right, that's what the Gomorrah says. Which means, just to appreciate this, this law, which is not an inconsequential law, right? This is a law which is going to make very big differences in people's lives. It will make a difference in a person living or not living is based on a svara, right? And you want to get better if it goes, a little, it goes a little further than that. The Gomorrah then says, how do I know that that applies to immorality? And it makes a hekesh, a, a, a similarity or, or between the idea of murder and rape. Meaning, we learn immorality from a hekesh, a connection to not a posuk by murder, but a svara by murder. Do you understand what that means? That means that logic in certain instances, not in all instances, because there are different types of svaras, the Shusyako says, but the possibility of a logic, of a logical principle, is the basis for this, uh, this idea of even Yarog Val Yavor. That's how far it can go. So apparently the Gomorrah is relying on svara, on the idea that there is a basic knowledge, a basic, basic working logic implanted in a human being. As a, so the, the question is, okay, so if that's the case, but where do we get that from precisely? Because if everything comes from what Hashem said, everything is precisely what Hashem said, and there's nothing else outside of that, right? So then this idea of looking at Svara, where does that come from? How can you rely on, where did that come from? Who invented that precisely? And the answer is very simple. Hashem invented that as well. Why? Because He invented us. So what that means is just in the words of, Right, the words of Rav, Rav Amital, just a really beautiful statement. It's the beginning of his essay in Source 8. Just listen to his words. God created the human being in his image. Right? We're all on the same page. Good. And therefore, he embedded in the human being basic, basic conscience, or basic, sorry, basic, yeah, basic conscience and basic morality in the algorithm of the human being. Musar TV. That is what characterizes the human being from the time of creation. Even when a person isn't commanded directly. Why? How do I know it's godly? 
because he created me like that. Now, we're going to get to the danger of such a logic that can lead us down some very dark alleyways. He says, but in the end of the day, HaKadosh Baruch Hashem turns to us through our conscience. If you want to sort of view it in a different way, like perhaps a different way it's, it's, it's said, I came across this Rambam in the morning of Uchim. I was just astounded when I, when I, when I, when I, when I found this. It was just so, so, so magnificent. How do you find the Rebona Shalom? How do you find HaKadosh Baruch Hu? You can't hug HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You can't have a dialogue in the days where there's no prophecy with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You can't see HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So how do you find it? Very hard. So one of the ways that we find in the Rambam talks about two different drachim, but one of the most famous ways is to? Pray. Is to? No, no, pray, pray, praying is, uh, that, that's true. But how do we see HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a certain sense? So one of the places is, is you look at Briosov, his, his nature. Look, look, at, look at what he did. Amazing, you go out there and you go to Montana and you see, you know, it's, it's just magnificent. I mean, this world is unbelievable. So you look at the magnificent creation around you, and that's what the Ramam says. And you're going to come, you're going to automatically come, says the Ramam, to this unbelievable emotional experience of Avas Hashem and that's what the Ramam says at the beginning of Yehoshua Sarah Torah. But it's more than that. It's not just the mountains, because it's much better than that. You see, it's if you look at the code that he coded, then you see even more. So the Ramam says, how do you know? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Merachim. How do you know that Hashem is a Baal Chesed? He says, well, if you look in the fact, to the fact that every mother, whether it's human being or even Lahavdil in animals, have a natural love and protective nature about their children. Who wrote that code, says the Rambam? Who made that such? Isn't that a reflection on the creator who put that algorithm into the creation of the human and even the animal kingdom? That's where you see who the Creator, which is fascinating, which means to say, if you're sort of transposing that to what Amital is saying, is there's an element of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in us. There's an element of the notion of Mishpat, which Avraham Avinu is turning to. Why? Because he says, this is not right. This is not right. How do I know it's not right, Hashem? Because you maybe know it's not right. I have an innate, true north compass, and it's not working right now because of what's about to happen in Saddam. Make sense? So where is he turning to? He's turning to the embedded voice inside of him. How do I know that's right? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu will never refine myself sufficiently. I've spent my entire life working on taking away, putting, putting away all the dross in my character. And I've found that ultimately this is not right. I believe that that's what you want me to know. That's Vatov in my particular circumstance. That's the best I can possibly do. And that's what you wanted from me. Isn't that a few, a few other examples of, the, of this idea. The Mishnah Chachma says, actually based on Apostle, which we're about to see in this week's parasha, the, 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 in Perakov Dal, at the end of Mishpatim, is really a continuation or perhaps a precursor to Har Sinai, depending on how you, the Rashi and the Ramban, how you read it. But it, it, the, in that, so to speak, that's where Nasev and Ishma is mentioned. In that section, HaKadosh Baruch says, Hashem Moshe, Alei Elai Hara, come up to the mountain, V'yeshom, V'nalacha so even. I'm going to give you the, the tablets were the Torah and the Torah the Mitzvah which I wrote to, to teach them. So I would have thought the Torah of Mitzvah refers to, that's the scroll, right? Meaning to say the, the Aseris of Debrais were, as we were learning yesterday a little bit, is perhaps the, the sum total of all, the, all the, the, the basic principles, right? And then I'm going to give you the more nuanced, more detailed version. That's the Torah of Mitzvah. The Mishnah Chochmah says not necessarily. Listen to his observation in Source 7. He says, Torah Mitzvah, Ayn Rashbam. He says, this is not referring to the Torah that we put into the Ark, um, as we have it. What's, he's quoting a Gomorrah in Eruvin, which says that we're not for the Torah over here. We should have learned certain basic moral principles from where? From animals, right? The way that an ant interacts, the way that a cat, uh, you know, goes to the, uh, uh, uses the restroom or go, uh, 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 ultimately uh, expunges certain things from his body. We, we, we learn the way that it, it does things we would have learned ourselves. He says, Lochein Omar, Ashekosavti besefer hateva what is the book of the ideas that you should be learning from? It's called nature. Because I wrote that too. You want to figure out what I want? Embedded in the book, in every part of code in this existence, is what I want too. 
That's, that's a pretty remarkable statement as well. In fact, in the, just to, to appreciate this, the Orasa Torah, Rav Cook has this in, an entire essay on Imperic Yud Beis, on what's called Mosai TV. And just in his very poetic way, he addresses this, much more from a universal perspective. And he says, again, he says in Source 10, any command that Akash Baruch is going to give us, there has to be Derech Eretz before. Now, we usually understand the way it was drilled into me when I was in, in, in elementary school was Derech Eretz Kadbala Torah means to say that you need to be able to have, behave well before you get Torah. Right? In our school, that was the motto of our school, Derech Eretz Kadbala Torah. So much so that every single award in elementary school was not about academics, but it was the Courtesy Emmanuel Award, it was the Friendship Award. I never got any of them, it was terrible. I felt so, I saw, when we got to high school and then we got to academics, that was fantastic, right? But <laughs> like all that, that, they were called soft sciences, you know, the, being nice to other people. That was very hard for some, some students at that stage in their stage in their, in their game. But nonetheless, that was how they, how they operated. And, uh, and, and so much so, the school's based on that, that when uh, there was a particular class, a class that may have been the same grade as mine, was, was so ill-behaved towards their Rebbe, they removed the Rebbe. And they said, if you can't, if you're not willing to act in a basic way with basic respect, you don't deserve to learn Torah. And so we, 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 we lost our privileges for a short while to do that. That's, what, that's, how, that's how I was brought up. That was the school I, I was brought up in. And that was, that was the principle. That's usually how we understand it. Courtesy and manners, there's certain derech uh, Rav Kook is saying it's more than that. He's saying that every Torah command has to go through the latticework of our personal <coughs> screen called derech eretz. Okay, what does that mean? He says, goes, A person has to somehow digest what HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells them through their filter. It needs to go through the, the, the notion of uprightness. And it needs to go through the, what a person is able to fully digest and appreciate and amalgamate into who they are. And so through his spiritual sensitivity. Even something which is beyond the capacity of us to be able to fully digest. Example, Chukim. Shmita, I have no idea, right? So how does that work? Even that, he says, even that needs to, so to speak, move through that process called Derech Eretz within ourselves. It says that, that there's still, it still has to be, we have to find a way to be able to accept and appreciate it as well, which gets into the general topic of like what the Sefer HaChinuch was doing. Why was the Sefer HaChinuch talking about Ta'ameh HaMitzvah? Such is a big debate in general. Are there Ta'ameh HaMitzvahs or not? And if there are, you cannot, be limit, you cannot limit the Mitzvah to that. You can't say, well, the Sefer HaChinuch says the Mitzvah is because of A, and therefore when A doesn't apply, that's what's called Darshin and Ta'ameh HaMitzvah. We don't do that kind of, that, that, that kind of business. But... Apparently the Sefer thought that was a sufficient, it was important enough to give us reasons. The Rorin of Uchim spent a lot of time on this. And there were many things which were debated. The Ramban takes him to task on many things. But they're not taking to the task the fact that there is a reason. But why is he giving us a reason? Why does he do that? The answer is because, as Rokuk is saying, is somehow Hashem expects us to try to appreciate the Torah and absorb it. And align ourselves with it. Which means to say that there is already another system, another algorithm through which those principles need to move through, which is the Musar TV, which is within the person. Which means Hashem gave us one system of morality, and then He superimposed another system of morality, and somehow the two have to fuse, which is very complex in, in this. Now, there are, there are uh, so, how, so how, how, how does that work? So how, how much must you obey? Like, so if I have this inner sense that this is right, or this is very much incorrect, do I have to listen to that or not? And this becomes a little bit of a gray area. So very, very famously, the mo whenever you look into this topic, you will find one source which always sticks out, and that is, that is Rabbeinu Nisim. If you look in the beginning of every Gemara, there's a lot of Hakdamas to the Gemara. Rabbeinu Nisim has an Hakdama to the Gemara. It's found in the beginning of Barachas. And in it, he talks about lots of, lots of very beautiful topics. And there's one sentence which stands out. This is, again, a, a part of a bigger, much bigger paragraph, where he says in Source 11, Any mitzvah which is dependent on what should logically be true, he says, we have a responsibility to listen to that inner voice. We have a responsibility for all generations to be able to listen to that principle which is being given to us, to know what is right. And by the way, we all know it's true. 
We all know what it is. You know, when that's that, that, that guy who was in, in New Haven who was a Rebbe and he found that he bought a desk and there's $94,000 stuffed into it and he called up the person and, and, and things like that. And, and you're like, you can equ you know, equivocate and really was it, you know, and, the, and the, there was a picture in the newspapers of this Jew returning the $94,000 in cash. And, every, and, you know, you can say, well, did he really need to? And so, we all know it's right. We all know it's the right thing. And we all know we would have all rationalized if we had found that, that money. Was it really 94,000? You know, maybe it was just only 93,000 and change. You know what I'm saying? We would have all gone through all of that. But we know what's right. That's the point. Is that somehow, well, how do we know what's right? How do we know what's right? And if, we, if there's some, somehow built into us is, is that sense, and then we have the responsibility to listen to that sense, and perhaps that's where it really counts. It's not all the times where the sky is clear, but when the clouds are coming, yeah. Good. Oh, that's excellent. Right. <laughs> so there's different ways of looking at this. So there are many, many different uh, perspectives on on how to look at uh, how to look at this. We're actually learning a little bit about this in Ainayo on Shabbos afternoons. About um, do you do you say that in a certain sense I've got a compass, an internal compass, which knows what's right, but it gets covered up by complexity, diversity, all the mess of my life and the human experience, and all therefore I need to do is uncover it. Is that, what's, is that what's happening? Or is it initially, if I were to leave it in neutral, it would ultimately veer off to Ramiru Rav, right? That's, that's sort of two ways of looking at it, to what's the essential essence of who I am. Today, very popular, certainly in, in, in Sifra Chassidus, the idea is that, that we have a clear starting point, and Ramiru Rav means to say that we just ultimately, without any uh, guidance, we will, it will be covered up, it will be complex, and therefore we can't necessarily trust our natural sense because our natural sense becomes clouded with justification, rationalization, and so on as well. So it becomes more complex to listen to. Right, yeah. I mean, it doesn't take too long for the first murder to happen. So, as an example, the Moran Nebuchim, just one last source on this, and then we'll get to the complexity of this. The Ramah says the Moran Nebuchim, and, 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 and uh, this is really, by the way, most of the times you hear Moran Nebuchim quoted, <laughs> just want to make an uh, interesting here, all right, is from, Peri, from the third book of Moran Nebuchim, from Perik Yudbeis onwards. Just notice that the next time you look at any time you go to quoting, because Try, try learning more and from the beginning. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's, it's very, very complex. A lot of it, of the time our mitzvahs are found in the, th the, the, the latter half of the third book, and the ideas of what Akash Baruch Hu is, and terms of what Malachim, the, the, all that is in the first, um, first section. So just worth while noting, in, in the, in, in the um, volume three, um, um, or section three, um, Perik Yudzani says, says, What does it mean that, that there's a notion of what's called Midakanegimida? Justice is natural and necessary. He says, a person is responsible to act in a just way, even without an explicit divine command. And you're going to be held responsible, even for the places the Torah doesn't give you a specific sif katan to follow. If you know what was expected of you in those situations. You know what's wrong. And by the way, was using the word Hamas. No, 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 no political overhangings here. Well, why, why is he using the word Hamas? Because why was the Dora Mabel destroyed? Hamas, right? Now you could say it's because of the specific mitzvahs of B'nai Noach. The Ramban is saying more than, the is saying more than that. He's saying is that the society was corrupt itself. At core it was corrupt and they knew better. That's what essentially he's saying. That's why they're punished so significantly. Now we have to talk about some of the limits of this again. It's a much bigger topic, and I'm really, I, we're not going to be able to do justice, but it is important to, to look at some of the limitations. So as an example, the Chazanish um, very much limits this principle, um, and internally himself has different perspectives on this at different times. So the Chazanish and Sefer in Munah, we're talking a very, very famous chapter. He's actually talking about um, a particular city that has certain teachers, and then new teachers come in who are younger and more um, charismatic, and they come into town, and the town sort of embraces the new teachers, retires the old teachers, the old teachers then start slandering the new teachers, because they feel that it's inappropriate that they came to take, you know, it's always exciting. They, 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 they this, this fellow is more energetic, has more speeches, and it, it gives more, it gives more stories. And suddenly that we get rejected. So there's a whole fight between them, between them, and that's the Chazon she's addressing. And he says a statement at the beginning of this chapter in Emunah Beitachon, um, which is really a strong statement. He says, Chovos hamusariyos, the the moral responsibility a person has, heimal lefamim guf echad impiskei halacha are one and the same as halacha. 
You cannot have morality today without halacha. Meaning, how is it that the teachers who felt that they, the umbrage of being rejected, how could they go around slandering the new teachers because they felt that they were in the right? And he says, it turns out they weren't in the right. Meaning, the first thing you need to figure out is what's right. And at that point in time, you cannot trust what you think is right. You need to say, is this halachically correct or is it not halachically correct? And then I can say, is this morally correct? There's no other way to, there's no other, no, no other way to do this. So, which means to say that essentially today, coming back to maybe Tibi, your, your point that you mentioned beforehand, is there's no way of, of garnering a moral principle just because I feel it's right. Because there's much more complexity in a system which is governed by halacha today specifically. More, more open now. It's interesting, he's a little more expansive when it comes to, let's say, kibbutz Ava'im, right? So, in the halachas of Ava'im, this is in Evan Ezer. Remember, the Chazanish wrote on everything. Everything. <laughs> Rambam, Shulchan Arach, Gomorrah, everything. Mishnah, everything. You want to look, go into HebrewBooks.com and type in Chazanish and see all the Svarim. The, the, the Chazanish was remarkable in so, in so many ways. And anyway, so in Evan Ezer, which is on Maseches Kedushin on Dav Lamed Beis, in that section, in Kuf Memches, which is an extremely long area which deals with the Maseches Kedushin, he talks about Kibdav Aim, and in the middle of this he's talking about a, a child doing what a parent doesn't want, which is not specifically implied in what the Torah's parameters of Kibdav Aim are. And he says, um, let's start with uh, the word Vagra, it's about halfway down the paragraph in Source 1415. He says, Vagra <laughs> So he says like this, is that you, on the one hand, you can have what the Torah specifically prescribes from us. What's the Torah prescribed from us? Right, so that's, that's very prescribed, that's very limited. But in and, in and above that, or what we call it built above that, is what the Torah wants us to be doing. The Torah in the Aseris Adibras is very general. Because it means to say that there's going to be situations we are not, which are not prescribed. Bringing the newspaper was not precisely the, the one's parent once wanted to return home before 10 o'clock at night. But I don't understand, Dad. It's not written in Shulchan Aruch. So I don't know. Just give me the keys. Right? So, so what, he's, what he's saying is that still the Ratzon Torah demands of a person that that's what the Torah wanted from you in that situation, even though the Torah didn't explicate that as well. Now, isn't that interesting? Because, yeah, it gives a little more flexibility, says the, says, says, says the, uh, the Chazanish in this situation, as to sort of up to the imagination of what a person needs to know what is, uh, what is correct in the situation. He has a lot more flexible. Why? So, uh, Wiedeblank actually in, in, in his essay makes an observation. It's, very, it's fairly simple. When you're trying to understand what the Torah already said, which is what the Torah said in Kibbutz Aim, and there's, by the way, the, the, and the sky is clear, there's no contradictions, then you're allowed to use this principle of what would the Torah want in this situation, right? What is the Ratzonah Torah in Kibbutz Aim? Because. I need to be doing what my parent wants, even if it isn't specifically said. But when it comes to another topic where, in a certain sense, now I'm going to say, is this right or wrong? Can, is the new or the old? Is this, okay, can I slander? Can I not slander? I can't use logic as an arbiter in that situation. I can't use my logic, because, first of all, because I'm biased. <laughs> and, and number two is because it's not stemming from the Torah. Make sense? So the Chazanish very much limits this. You can't, and this is what a lot of people do, is like, it's unjust. It's not proper. It's not right. Yeah, well, but you need halacha for that if you're going to just bring it in in a vacuum. But once I know what the Torah already says in this specific case, extrapolating sort of called minutia out of that is allowed. This is one limitation. There, there's, there's another limitation. This is very famously Rav, uh, Rav Asher Weiss. And the Minchas Asher has a very beautiful essay in, parish, uh, in, in Simon Nun Aleph in um, Devarim. And he talks about, we're going to spend a little more time with Rav, uh, Rav Asher Weiss next week in, 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 in this, uh, the earlier parts of this of the simon, but in the end he just issues a warning, and it's a very important warning, especially for Darei Nuzeh, for, for, for our, our generation, and he, he quotes in the first paragraph on top of page 5, he quotes the Rabbeinu Nisim, and then he says the, the second paragraph, he says, Omnam, he says, however, it's not clear, well, you're going to say you rely on human logic today? It changes with the wind. It depends which side you're on. It depends on your politics. It depends on how much money you've got invested. It depends on your relationships. There's so many things it depends on today. He says, <laughs> Look what the Germans thought was proper in 1933. Right? So you're going to rely on that kind of human logic? Well, that got them down into to, to killing 12 million people because of their Ursula de Libo. 
if that's what you're going to rely on. Omnam af im nekabel hadvarim legabe b'nei noach mi'umas ha'olam nira de b'nei kel chai shekiblu Torah misinai ain lohem ilvada Torah kadosha v'rakolel noimar zichru Torahs Mosher avdi asher tzivisi b'chorev chukim yishvatim v'ain lohem Torah zrosai. When it comes to Jews. We can't start just like, you know, throw, putting our, licking our finger and putting it up in the wind and figuring out where, where we're going to go. We, we've, got a, we've got a rule book, right? So the rule book is going to tell us what, what to do. And we've got to be very careful about just, you know, operating based on Musar TV. The G'dolah Mizukos of Chirush Otsum by Igras Moshe. He quotes Igras Moshe, Rav Moshe Fanstein. In Samach Vav in Chelik Dalad Norachaim, to Mashu Amru Chazal Shelo Shino Shema Malavusha Malashonam, that which the nation, the Hebrew tribe was was given as great credence for because they were in Egypt was because they didn't change their garb and their their tongue and their names. Well, that's all fine, says Rav Moshe. Eino Ela Lifnei Matan Torah. That's because we didn't have a Torah, so all we had was cultural hangovers as to what it looked like to be a Hebrew or Israelite. He says Veshuv Roisi Vasufas Reicha, and he quotes a a, a Gaon who says as as well, Mishum Kach, he says in the last paragraph, and these are called, he calls prescriptive and descriptive values of Torah, which is what we looked at a little bit last time, but you cannot suddenly start thinking that I know what's right and not, not right. Now, just, just to clarify this as well, so this may not be a stereotype to what the Ramam was saying is more in a more Nebuchim. In a situation where there is, there, there's multiple competing values that will go, which will dictate different actions, then maybe yes, then, 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 then you need to have the Torah, like the Chazanish was saying, to, to define it. But there'll be situations where there's not multiple values, right? And you just know what's right in this situation. And it, it, there's no other competing idea. And there is an expectation. There are times where it's, it's, it's not that I'm not gay. It's I know what's right. It, it, in this situation, it is right to help that person cross the street, <laughs> right? And that's, that's, not, that's not only a contradiction to what, to what the, the, the Minchas Rosh is saying. The Minchas Rosh is saying is, be careful about setting up a moral society based on what I think is right, because it's going to end up being very dangerous. Don't, when you're in a machlaik or somebody else, say, I know what's right, and that's why I'm going to take you to court and, and, and not let go. That, that's, that's inappropriate. You need no halacha then in that situation. But there are certain situations where there's no other competing principle, and what I'm doing, what's, what, what's right, may, it may be what's expected of me um, in, in that situation as well. The last thing we're just going to look at is, is the, and this is obviously the most important thing, which is the clash with commands. What happens when the, 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 when the Torah says something and, and what I, feel, I feel something else? And this, by the way, comes down to the first of the, all the commands to all the human beings, which is, like, Baruch says, don't eat from the tree. But in the, in the, what does the snake say to, to, to Chava? Does it look good? Because from an animalistic perspective, the animal's built with only one voice. And that one voice is the internal voice, that's the algorithm God put in, called we call instinct. And so if an animal eats something that it likes, that's ultimately an expression of godliness. So the snake was saying to, this is where Rav Hirsch explains it, the snake was saying to Chava, well, do you like the tree? Does it look good? And if it looks good, your eating it is actually the divine will, isn't it? And, and the problem is, is that that is true that it's the divine will, when it's not actually in clash with the explicit, specific explicit divine will, which is don't eat from it. And her mistake was thinking that perhaps she was more in the camp of an animal, which is listening to the internal voice rather than external voice like Kodesh Baruch And so it should be pretty obvious that whenever there's a clash between what Hashem wants us to feel and what He wants us to do, what He wants us to do will supersede what He wants us to feel. So now a classic example of this is Shaul HaMelech. Right? So we're about to read this in a, in a few weeks' time in Pasha's Zahar. So Shaul HaMelech has this, this, this innate sense of pity right, for the Amalekim. And that's beautiful because that comes from a place that Akash Baruch Hu put in him, a sensitive soul, that we should have mercy upon human beings. Except it doesn't work when Hashem tells you to kill them. And that's the problem. Is that sometimes when we listen to that voice at the cost of a dibur, that's when we fail. And that's, that, that, that should be pretty obvious to us. Where it gets less obvious to us is when we look at Parshas Vayera. And this, perhaps we'll close this because there's obviously so much more to talk about in this uh, topic. Avraham Avinu gets up there. And he has nothing to gain from about, about, about Sodom. Perhaps he does. He has his, his nephew Lot, but Lot ultimately is, is going to be saved. But Avraham Avinu is not talking about Lot. He doesn't say, Akash Baruch if you wouldn't mind, 23 on Cedar's Lane, you know, <laughs> there's this fellow. Right? He doesn't say that. He's arguing about all of, uh, of Sodom. And says Rav Hirsch, you see from your remarkable thing. You see, he says in Source 19, listen to these words. Finally, this dialogue, so to call it, between Abraham and the judge of the world, in which a creature of dust dares to step before the presence of the God with his feelings of justice, finds agreement and approval is a guarantee of the godliness of that voice within us, which pleads for the right and for the duty of fidelity of a king. 
Meaning it is equally as godly in that situation to argue in that situation with the HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Why? Because in that way he knew this was, could be incorrect if it was not yet ratified within the space of the human conception of the Musa TV. So he was willing to argue with other Rebbe in, in that case. Which leads us to a question because at the end of the parasha, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Abraham Avinu, Avraham, so he says, and what does Avraham Avinu do? Any arguments, any deliberations, nothing. So I ask him, Avraham Aboker. That's a one, two, three. Out, out the door he goes, and he's doing that. And, and, and that, that goes against everything that Avraham Avinu feels. All the rachamim, all the chesed, everything that he represents is now at stake, and yet nothing. <laughs> nothing. Why? How does that work? Rabbi Lutzenstein in his essay says in a very powerful line, he says, when there is a conflict between this, the tzav and the moral order, well, we, what do we do about it? For us, the answer is perhaps practically difficult, but surely it is conceptually clear and unequivocal. This is, after all, what the Akedah is about. Kirk and God emphasized that the Akedah represents a conflict between Abraham's moral sense and the divine command. As far as understanding the problem, he was unquestionably correct. On the one hand, Abraham is commanded to offer his son to God. On the other hand, he knows that murder is forbidden. The message is that uh, the Akeda is of the Akeda is clear. God's command takes precedence in every respect of our moral sensibility and con conscientious um, objections. And he goes on to say, and he quotes Medrashim, which put in this Yalkut Shimon, he has an example, which talk about Avraham Avinu crying along the way, which means Avraham Avinu was still experiencing what is so to speak at odds with his moral sense of what everything that he knew was right, murdering his own son, something inconceivable, and yet at the same time, following the divine command. And there's times where HaKadosh Baruch Hu will ask us to sublimate. And the question is, and this is a question which I don't really fully have a right answer for, is why did he not object in that situation? But why did he object with, with Stom? And I think perhaps one of the answers is, perhaps one of the answers is, is that by Sodom it wasn't a command to him. When it came down to the, the Akedah, it was specifically, unequivocally, undoubtedly to him and what to do. And yes, you can say in retrospect that as Rashi says, doesn't mean to sacrifice him, but Avraham Avinu knew what Hashem wanted, and he did what Hashem wanted, up to the point that Hashem said it's no longer wanted, because it was a command. In the case of Sodom, coming back to your point, sorry, in the case of Sodom, it wasn't a command. It was like Baruch Hu essentially giving a soliloquy in front of Avraham Avinu, asking him to join the questioning of it, because otherwise, why would Hashem talk about Sarkar Mishpat in the presence of Avraham Avinu about what he's about to do to Saddam, almost inviting Avraham Avinu in to, for the human perspective in what was a divine decree. And that's perhaps the difference, is that in the space where there's a divine command, then there's, not, then, then there's a space, a space for our, our, our moral logic. Even though Derek Eretz Kadamalat Torah, we have to filter it through it. We may be crying, but we're going to ultimately have to make that sacrifice. But there are times where it's not, not a command, it's more complicated. We have to try to figure out what it is. And it's not so easy in those specific situations. When there's multiple values at stake, as the Chazanish says, as, as Minchas Asher points out, we can only start with halacha. But if halacha doesn't say anything in those situations, there's nothing else at stake, there's no, then, then there's a, there is a space where a person needs to know what's right. And I think a lot of us really do, because we try to rationalize and justify so much away from it in so many of, the, of those circumstances. Folks, it is very clear that we've only scratched the surface of this particular topic. And there's lots of very valid points in this topic. There's no question. But it should be something which is worthwhile thinking about as the Torah relates to us. And sometimes we can think about very specific finite moments in our lives where we actually do the right thing. And the Torah didn't tell us to, but we know that was the right thing as well. We're sometimes given those moments, and I think those are the moments which really make us who we are. Thank you so much. For